G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and welcome to I'm Loving Your Work. Today on the show, we have Angie Hilton. Angie has performed with superstars like Ricky Martin and Vanessa Amorossi and many others. She starred in large-scale stage productions and as a TV presenter on a number of different shows and much, much more. We discuss some of the ups and downs that go with a career in the entertainment industry and I'd like to thank Angie for her candidness in this interview. To check out Angie's current project, Destination Happiness, head along to www.destinationhappiness.com. I hope you enjoy my chat with Angie Hilton. Right, so today we've got Angie Hilton with us. Angie, you're a, you're a singer, you're a TV presenter, you're an educator. How would you describe your, your role within the industry? Uh, my role within the industry and <laughs> my role within life, probably I'd describe it as all over the shop. <laughs> every week's a bit different. Every day is a bit different. I never really know what's coming up next. I never know how much I'm going to make every week, or let alone every year. So you really have to brace yourself for the ride of getting into the entertainment business and just keep your mind open and a little bit of faith. I think you need to have faith that jobs do come in. They always, when I look back at the past, I think, oh, I haven't worked for a while and then a big job will come in or it just seems to work out. I'm not sure how. I don't like to overthink it because I'd probably go and get a real job then. <laughs> <laughs> I heard uh, I heard Julia Zamiro say that, uh, I think she said 99% of a performer's life is unemployment. Mm-hmm. So that must be hard to deal with. Absolutely, yes. It's You have to become really resourceful. You've kind of got to have your fingers in lots of pies because of that exact fact that you just don't know where that next job's coming from. So I've always taught singing on the side or, or um, done little gigs or, um, you know, I worked for my mum and dad in their post office. I do anything just to keep it coming in. Even waitressing, I've done bits and pieces all along the way. But you have to be pretty proactive in terms of keeping your name out there and chasing the work. Um, you can kind of get a job and get comfortable, but then you think, hang on, these jobs don't last very long. So you've got to keep on your toes the whole time. And luckily for me, I guess, I'm not the main breadwinner of the house. So I get to be a bit more playful with my career and, and have the lovely support of my husband who has a wonderful job. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll get into all, all the sort of uh, the details of your career and, and where you've been and that sort of thing. But what I'd like to do uh, early in the in the podcast is ask everyone the question, when you were young, what did you want to be when you grow up? Well, initially it was a vet and then I realised I have to go to school for a long time and school and I weren't the best of friends. <laughs> but I think I was around the age of uh, 12 and I remember being in church. Um, we grew up Catholic and I was at some function and I saw this girl up singing in church and it was like I was watching an angel singing and I just thought... I would so love to do that. And it just something came over me in that moment where I had to have singing lessons. So I went to my parents and said, I'd love to have singing lessons. And they kind of looked at each other and laughed a little bit because there's not one person in our family with a musical bone in their body. (laughs) And they'd never heard me sing either. So they just thought, where is this coming from? So off I went to singing lessons and um, fell in love with it. They still hadn't heard me sing until the first concert I appeared in, singing A Cockeyed Optimist. <laughs> what a strange song. <laughs> and um, I got through the song and the very last note was a really high note. 
And I was so nervous about it that I hit this note and it was terrible. And I came <laughs> off stage crying. But they were, they came out and said they couldn't believe I could sing in tune well, for, for the majority of the song. So they were really uh, impressed that I could actually get up on stage and um, do anything musical coming from that space. But I remember my uncle saying to me, um, he was a school teacher, and he said, if he could have lined up all the kids in the school and picked which one would not be on stage, it would have been me because I was ridiculously shy. So for me it was that um, passion that I just had to sing. So it, nothing was going to stop me, even my shyness and my fear. It just I was just compelled for some reason. Do you ever bring that up with your uncle now, <laughs> sort of <laughs> having gone the direction that you have? <laughs> I imagine at times almost eat his words a yeah. little bit. <laughs> well, we do have a chuckle about it as we, we often have Christmas karaoke with yeah. all the family. So <laughs> I make him uh, put him on the spot and make yeah. him perform for me now. <laughs> so... After after having this sort of, I suppose, set, was it a setback at the time? With the, the yeah, first with, performance? Yeah. 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 Well, th- that's it. You realise you just got to get back on that horse. Yeah, so what, what, what kept you with it? Was it the, mm. did you just enjoy it so much? I just much? loved it. Yeah. I just loved it. My mum used to bribe me. She'd say if, you, if I was naughty, I, could never, I couldn't go to my singing lessons. So that was what she had over me. So I, I did lessons for 10 years and... Those early days are so crucial in building up that performance muscle because oh, I sang at my first wedding and I looked over at my sister in the crowd and she just did this little snigger thing and I burst out laughing in the oh, middle of a no. song. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was on stage. I got into Jusota Juniors, which is a musical theatre company. That for um, I was only a teenager then. And I got the role of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. So that really pumped up my confidence and that was a great experience. But another time in that show, in a different show, I was dancing, singing, holding my microphone, did this big spin around and my microphone went flying through the air <laughs> into the crowd <laughs> under all the seats and I was down on my hands and knees <laughs> looking for this microphone. So every time things mucked up really badly, I see them as great learning experiences. Yeah, for sure. Makes you handle whatever comes up in the future. Yeah. Mm. And so you mentioned singing lessons there, Jasoda. Have you had any other either formal or informal education that you feel has, has helped helped your career in any way? Yeah, look, I no, it was all singing, teaching, I mean, singing lessons. I didn't even consider going to uni, which is not a great thing. I finished year 12 and I just thought, oh, I want to be a pop star. Yeah. <laughs> of course that's realistic. <laughs> and so my mum and dad were pretty, you know, they, they thought as long as she's happy, we're happy. And so I went chasing this dream. So I was... I started gigging in bands from when I was 16 and and then singing kind of led me into television presenting which I, I was singing on a, a show once and a producer saw me singing and said, would you like to audition for this kids show which was called Good Sports. So that kind of led into that and um, found a, a new love which was TV presenting. I'd never even considered that. So um, they kind of go hand in hand in terms of that performance muscle. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And now let's get into a little bit of your TV presenting because you've got you've got quite an illustrious resume <laughs> with your so you've been on stuff like Coxie's Big Break on Channel Seven. You mentioned Good Sports, uh, Bread on Channel Ten, uh, What's Up Down Under on Channel Ten, and and Destination Happiness. Tell well, us a little bit about that. Yeah, well the the um, presenting journey has been great. Um, so I started Good Sports and then had a break. 
and started thinking, I want something, I'd love to work on a travel show. So I found out the producer of Coxie's Big Break and I started politely hounding him. That's <laughs> the, you know, you've got to be polite and not annoying, but you've got to keep in their face. And I had to be constant with it, like every few months or something, just, just checking in, just seeing if there's any, I'm still around, you know, just reminding people I was there. And one good thing, I look back at my mum and dad and think they always said to me, you want this, you've got to do it yourself. And I'd say, mum, can't you be a stage mum and help me and ring around? <laughs> no, you've got to do it yourself. So I got the, um, used to chasing work. And so, yeah, Coxie's Big Break was awesome fun. I did that for quite a few years. Bread was a small business show, which I loved as well. That was only a short season. And then I had a break and had children. And I thought after I got out, I thought, oh, I reckon it's going to be just as hard to get back into TV. So mm. I wasn't actually thinking that I'd get back into TV after having that break. Anyway, I was sitting in my caravan one day. We've got a, we had a caravan down in Torquay and um, never watched weekend TV. Flicked it on and I saw this What's Up Down Under, and, which was a caravanning show, ironically. Um, and I Googled it and I thought, oh, I saw the executive producer's email address come up and I thought, I'm going to be cheeky and just send him an email right now saying, do you need any hosts? And um, it was meant to be, you know, a bit of synchronicity, I reckon, mm -hmm. happening there. So the next week he said, let's have a coffee. And the week after I started working on it, and I've been on that for, I think, nearly five years. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you got into to singing in bands and that sort of thing quite young. Have you had any mentors in the industry that have that have helped you? or Or is it... Is, is it not necessarily conducive to that? Is it, is it quite competitive as an industry in mm. terms of do you have friends who would be going for similar jobs as you or is um, it very much almost that, that distance between people going for similar jobs? Yeah, I guess it's, yeah. I'm, well, the jobs I've had in terms of singing, I, I tend to get myself, I've, I've, I work with some great people that I've worked with for nearly my whole life. So Andrew Cromwell's a guitarist I always work with. He's amazing. Sam Cocking is a good friend of mine who's a singer and we try to work together as much as we can just so that it's a party every time we work. <laughs> and then Jeff Bennett is a bass player. So we work together and um, really I don't feel like you're competing against other bands because you never really see them. So it's it's really just the drive to make that contact, get in touch with the venues, make it happen and and you really have to be self-motivated and just you know you get your duo gigs and you get your six-piece band gigs and you've I've got tribute shows and it's all a little bit all over the shop but you never feel I, d I don't see it as a competitive space because we're just every time we turn up to a gig we're having fun yeah. and um, is that the same with presenting as well that's more competitive however what I've found with presenting is I tried to get agents to help me with this stuff and acting is different to presenting. What I discovered is that presenting jobs don't seem to get advertised. I think people come up with a show, they kind of know roughly who they want. So it's a matter of timing and being in producers' faces. So um, once again, it was just the right timing for me and the right people and just being tenacious. Yeah. And do you have any tips for anyone who who might feel a bit outside of the industry and, you know, you mentioned that there's a bit of sort of helping out your friends and this mm. sort of stuff mm -hmm. that I imagine goes on. Yep. For someone looking to get into that industry, do you have any tips on how to make that first approach? Yeah, okay. So presenting, do you mean? Yeah, oh, singing? for presenting, yep. yeah. Presenting. Yeah, look, oh, what would you do now I think back? 
I would start by there's not a, not that I know of there's no great presenting courses that I've seen but what I would do is find your favorite shows where you, where you like the presenters write out a script of what they're saying film yourself doing it or get someone to film you doing it set up a similar scene film yourself doing it get a bit of a showreel get get um get to become the most comfortable version of yourself for the for the camera just practice being yourself on camera with lines to say the more you can really be sometimes you've got to be a bit bigger and larger version of yourself just to give the energy across on tv but the more you can get comfortable with a camera the better so you can film yourself or get someone to film it you, could, you might want to get it done high quality doesn't really matter put together a little show reel have it available then I would just try to make contact. So whether you even go and do some work experience at production companies, get to know who the right people are, go and sweep floors in in the production companies, anything you can to make those initial contacts and hone your skills. And don't wait for don't wait for a show. Don't wait for a show to come up or or someone to offer you a job. Create your own these days. Start mm. a YouTube channel. Build a following. It's so much, I think that's the exciting part of today is that there's so much out there for you to just be yourself and show the best version of you by going for it. And there's no one stopping you. So I I think today is quite exciting in that area because TV is changing. Everyone can have their own TV station. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you go about setting goals for yourself? Because I imagine, especially coming into the industry, it'd be hard to sort of calibrate yourself to what's realistic or not in the shorter term and the longer term Mm. do you notice your goals changing over time interesting um i think i tend to i go a lot by feel and instinct and i probably don't plan too far in advance i kind of i like to stay relatively present and just go by the feel so i'm i'm always weighing up Am I balancing work and family life properly? Am I feeling creatively fulfilled? Am I getting better at what I'm doing and improving or am I feeling stale? And if I'm feeling stale, I need to chase something a little bit more creative or I need to, partly for me, I need to feel like I'm giving back in a certain way. So this is why, you know, I've, I've been working on the project Destination Happiness, which is um, I've blended what I know how to do from the TV stuff, but um, blending it with what I'm passionate about. So that is health and well-being, but specifically for me, mental health, because that's that's my passion. I, you know, I had my own battles with mental health for a, quite a big period of my life, and I've learnt as much as I could to understand why that happened to me and how I could prevent it happening again. Um, and then I just had the passion to share that knowledge with whoever wanted to hear it because uh, that's one of the things I think it's so sad. There's so many people suffering right now, like most of them suffering in silence and still still people feel the stigma of, oh, I can't tell people how I'm really feeling because they'll judge me. But I just really want to smash that stigma and have everyone, you know, I turn up to your house today, how are you feeling? Oh, yeah, I'm depressed. You know, I'm feeling really shit, but, yeah, you know, I'm dealing with it, and these are the things I'm doing. Just an open conversation, like telling me you've got the flu. I think yeah. it should be like that. So um, my goal is to just interview as many experts and get all these tips and have them on the website 
or hopefully a TV show if that, that all takes off and have free information for people because I, I just find some people they end up in a bit of a hole and they don't know what to do and they're nervous to talk to somebody. I just want it to be a hub where people can go and say, okay, oh, I could try this, I could try that, oh, yeah, that's a good idea and get that free help. And how do you find the balance between uh, doing what you're passionate about and doing what is going to be most accessible to viewers? Mm. We've seen sort of, certainly with journalism, I think in recent years, people are going for more of the clickbait sort of stuff rather than the kind of hard-hitting, mm. mm. uh, decent sort of yeah. proper journalism sort of stuff. Yes. Is that happening with television as well? Mm. And how do you find the balance between doing what you want to do and what is going to have or what's going to be good for your yeah. professional integrity versus what's going to get viewers and what's going to yes. be successful? Yeah, that's that's a big question. That's huge. I guess at the moment, like I'm trying to formulate this to be a potential TV show and for the show I'm thinking of, it needs to be brand funded. So we have to find that balance of pleasing the sponsors, being true to our message and delivering something that doesn't, look like an infomercial so in the process we're finding great sponsors that are really in line with our 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 message but then it's um yeah keeping everybody happy but but keeping that good content I'm still trying to work out this balance and this is sort of where we're at at the moment but um yeah I think it's you've just got to be instinctive in that um instant and just hope that you get that balance right. And I'm sure you get the feedback from the audience anyway, so hopefully we'll be on the right track or they'll tell us anyway. <laughs> but in terms of the website and, and social media, that's where you can be a lot more carefree and honest and real and go a bit deeper. But when you're trying to hit the masses, um, you've got to keep the messages probably a bit more subtle and not too in your face and really pleasing to a broad um, audience. You mentioned before having some issues with mental health and that sort of thing. I imagine the the performing industry would have been a really kind of tough place mm. to mm. go through all that. Yeah. How did you deal with at times, I imagine you would have had to present when you wouldn't have necessarily been feeling great mm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Is it just a, do you just click into a gear, do you just learn how to turn that on mm. and off or yeah. how do you go about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, when I was at my worst with depression and anxiety I was probably around 27 and I can remember it was hard enough to get out of the house let alone stand up and entertain people but there were some gigs I had to do and I can remember singing at the casino at this place called the Las Vegas bar and (laughs) internally I'm feeling like I just want to hide from the whole world so I had to stand up there and sing I will survive and things like that (laughs) But every second of that gig, I can remember every second of the gig, I my body wanted to run out of there, just get the hell out of there. I hated it. So I put myself through a, probably a lot of gigs where I was not in a fit state to do it, but something let me still do it. And then I ended up, I just really needed a, a good break, but I ended up, people had ring to book me and I'd double my fees or something so they'd say no (laughs) they probably thought oh that girl's ridiculous she thinks she's worth that what but it was me just hiding and feeling ashamed that I wouldn't be able to cope 
And so would you suggest if, if someone was going through that sort of stuff in the industry, having time off or pushing through it? Like- yeah, that's a good question. It dip- well, my first uh, piece of advice would be if you feel that sort of stuff coming on, anxiety and depression, treat it early. I let mine go far too long thinking I'm strong, I can beat this, you know, this is not going to beat me. But it just kept, it was a vicious cycle. It was just wearing me down, 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 down. So if I could have gone back in time, I would have completely gone to see a psychologist earlier, gone to the doctor earlier, whatever it took, rather than let it get to the point where I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drive. I was a mess. I just had to get through the day. Like I'd turn into a a stick figure because I couldn't, I physically couldn't eat. I was that churned up. Yeah, but then as things get, as you get back on top of them in terms of performing, yeah, you you definitely have your bad days. And and I can remember um, I I was singing on a cruise ship once and I had a gig where I was going through some pretty bad emotional turmoil with something to do with my life at the time. And before I went on stage, I was crying in the dressing room with the dancers saying, I don't, I can't go on, I cannot go on that stage. And something, like I just had to, the show must go on, wipe away the tears. And you step on the stage and it's actually quite therapeutic because something in my brain in that moment when I'm singing, dancing, doing everything at once, just takes over. Mm -hmm. So I was a complete mess inside, but that, that was yeah. It's it's pretty amazing experience actually. Yeah. Mm. And so you you've sung with people like Marsha Hines, uh, Ronan Keating, Vanessa Amorossi, Ricky Martin, amongst lots and lots of others. Have you ever been starstruck? <laughs> yeah. How, how do you deal with that? Ah, uh, try to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think um, Ricky Martin was probably the one. He. Um, he it was when he did the logies oh, it was so long ago but he walked in and he was the big thing at the time you know the biggest hits in the world and he was so gorgeous looking and he walked in my friend and I were his backup singers and I just yeah just melted and he said oh ladies are you okay can I get you a chair and I'm like oh and he's so nice as well <laughs> so yeah I try to act cool but yeah I often I used to get starstruck because I, I worked on Hey Hey Saturday. So every week you'd be getting huge names coming in and, yeah, just be cool, be cool. <laughs> so what's the best day that you say that you've had at, at work? Well, I laugh because, you know, I always think I feel like I've never probably worked a, <laughs> a day in my life because I've always loved what I've done. But the best day, oh, like there's definite highlights, like, we sang at the NRL grand final and and do you know how terrible this is? This is how much I'm not a sports person. <laughs> do you know I can't even tell you who was playing that day? Oh, really? <laughs> no. <laughs> and then we, I sang at um, on top of the MCG scoreboard for the AFL grand final and my husband laughs because as soon as I finished, I finished singing up there, Gazali, with a few other girls... <laughs> I got in my car and drove home. He's like, you didn't even stay for the game. (laughs) Since you've been in the media, have you seen the role of women change throughout Mm. that time? And 
Interesting. For example, the, the sexualization of women. Mm. I imagine it's something that was potentially more prevalent in the past. Yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah, I'm just picturing Delvine Delaney from, I think she was Sal of the Century or something <laughs> with the gold lame top or <laughs> Yeah, um, look. Yeah, but, but, that, but that's it, sort of. Say, for example, stuff like Sale of the Century yeah. and all this sort of stuff, it was always the male presenter yes. and the female sort yes. of model there to, yeah, to show off all the, the stuff. Yep. How, how do you feel as a woman trying to get into the industry yeah. when this is the perception that, that women have? It is interesting, isn't it? Men can get away with so much. <laughs> um, but I think it's changing a bit. You know, there's some really strong, great women in the industry now and where they may have been kicked off. Actually, I can remember one of my producers telling me, um, you know, if you haven't made it by the time you're kind of 30, you may as well give up because the roles after that kind of diminish a lot. Mm. But, you know, there's um, the girls in the morning shows in their 50s. So, yeah, look, it's changing enough. I've experienced things over my time, you know, getting put off when I was pregnant and things like that and things that are completely inappropriate and being told, oh, you know, you should have blonde hair. and uh, <laughs> I could tell you too many things, but then I'd get in trouble. <laughs> Do you consider the industry to be socially progressive? When, when you were experiencing all this sort of sexism, was that at a time when it was seen to not be accepted within yeah, society? Yeah. Or, so is the industry, I suppose, ahead of the game or behind the curve a little oh, bit? Look, when it's it comes hard to, to know because I guess I, I live in a certain bubble of, of the industry, so I don't get to see everything. But my general experience so far has been that it's a bit backward in, in the people at the the head of of, um, of of where I have probably been working in terms of what is expected from women and and um, yeah, look, I, that's hard for me to say. Yeah, well, I suppose one of the sort of the main cases that we've seen in recent years was with Sunrise, where Melissa Doyle, quote unquote, resigned and was replaced by Samantha Armitage. Yes. How does that affect someone who's in the industry as a woman? Yeah. I imagine you would have... It's, it's frightening. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, now you've just triggered another memory. I was, I was told by a producer, I don't know whether he was trying to get the best out of me or what he was trying to do, but he said, look, there are not too many women in their 40s in, um, on TV, so how are you going to deal with that? Like... <laughs> Well, I think I was 40 by that stage and he's just pointing it out to me. So I think, I don't know what he was trying to get out of that. But it, it does, yeah, look, there's there's definitely changes that still need to be made. But I, I think it is slowly changing from from at least a decade or two ago, hopefully. And, and since you've had children, has your perception of things changed at all since having them? Yeah, look, um, now... Now they are my first priority and everything else fits around that. So it is a juggle with working on a travel show because, for instance, this last month I was nearly away for the whole month, but that's that's rare, very rare. And they've sort of known me to go away for a few days at a time pretty much for their whole life. So they're kind of resilient in that sense. They're a bit independent. They're used to mum. She goes, but she comes back every time. Um, and this time while I was away, they're that little bit older, they're seven and nine, and they were able to express themselves 
to me a lot better. So I knew exactly what headspace they were in. But if they were ringing me saying, Mom, I just want you to come home, it would be a whole lot harder for me to do. Mm -hmm. So when I'm away, I might be away for all time, but then I'm home and I'm home for a long time as well. So it does balance out. But, yeah, they're the first priority. If they weren't coping, I'd quit everything. Mm. And what do you think are some of the best things about the industry? Ah, look, um, excitement, (laughs) Um, freedom in a certain sense. Um, Yeah, there's never really a dull moment. Um, Yeah, you you meet some incredible people, some out there people. I think I always tend to gravitate towards people that are a little bit crazy (laughs) in a fun way. (laughs) So there's lots of that going on. Um, Yeah, and the... I guess the the negatives, I suppose, too, would be egos, you know, dealing, managing egos. Um, I tend to be, I still got that element of shyness in, in me. So if I'm around large and life extroverts, I tend to shrivel. So when you're working in TV, you tend to be around a lot of extroverts. So I... Um, I really have to manage that in myself to rise to a certain level or not let their uh, big personalities affect my personality. Mm-hmm. So that's been an interesting observation too. What is the place in TV for, for introverted people? You imagine there is a lot mm. of extroverted people. Is, is there room for introverts to be successful as well? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and What are some of the main areas that introverts and extroverts would differentiate themselves um, within the industry? Would it be the roles that they take in terms of some being on screen, others off screen? Yeah, I would say, like, if you are naturally an introvert but you've still got the passion to do it, do not be intimidated by the extroverts because, you know, you walk in the room and there they are, larger than life, <laughs> ready to party, and they're, they're, you know, they're not afraid to do anything. And the introvert might have the same passion to do, to be on the show or whatever it may be and may have this, exactly the same skills, but they've got to pull it out and make sure that they're matching the energy and not being affected by the others. But that's, I would say introverts push through that because there's a sensitivity that comes with um, the introverted people that are there's more introspection and and they're potentially they've got a lot to offer they just they shouldn't be held back by thinking that it's an extrovert's world because that's what it looks like (laughs) generally and so now you've taught singing lessons to to adolescents for yeah for for a long time Mm. I imagine you would have met a lot who who would want to get into the industry themselves Mm. what are some of the major challenges do you think for young people trying to take that step yes um i i like to um there's something i heard what was it years ago like you should never crush anyone's dreams never tell anyone they can't do something because they can easily prove you wrong you know someone might not be the most talented singer that you've ever heard but they've got some other special star quality but I hate it if anyone ever says to someone if they're a dream crusher. I hate mm. dream crushers. Don't crush anyone's dream. Maybe it's unrealistic and maybe you can say, hey, the reality of this industry is for you to make it as a recording artist, the percentages of that happening are this. 
if you want to go for that, you should have some backup. So maybe you do cover gigs, maybe you have a job, maybe you do uni on the side, whatever it may be. But the reality of the um, recording industry is that, you know, whatever it may be, 10% of, not even 10, probably 5%, not even that, people make it mm-hmm. and make a living. But if it's your passion, if it's your dream, go for it and don't let anyone tell you not to because you, you won't you won't rest and if that's in your soul trying to get out. So I reckon people should just go for their dreams but always have those little backup plans um, and not, I guess, you want to put everything into it but it's that fine line, isn't it? Mm. If you put everything into it, are you setting yourself up for failure? Who knows? But I'm a big believer in chase your dreams and just go for it. And I imagine throughout your career you would have received a lot of advice from people and I imagine heard advice even given to people uh, that, that you tutored with singing. Is there any advice that you've heard that you maybe don't agree with as much that is being given to people? Hmm. That's a very good question. I would... Uh, there's a temptation for people to go on the uh, singing shows these days. What I would say is they are so far from reality. Mm. It's all set up. It's all rigged. And if you're judging, if you go to perform for that and they say no, don't take that personally because it's a TV show. They're trying to get ratings. It doesn't matter how they set you up or, or make you a star or make you fail it's about TV show and to not take it personally because it seems like, you know, that's the go-to thing for people these days to go on one of those. But um, I would say for singers, more than anything, start writing songs. Start putting, expressing yourself on paper. Record them however you can and get it up on YouTube. And there's a market out there for everybody. So maybe someone in Quebec or something <laughs> just loves your music and that'll be the start of it. <laughs> Well, Angie, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you so much for the insight that you've been able to provide for us. You're welcome. Thank you so So much. So welcome. And I must say too, um, the Mackie family, Rowan, (laughs) Ali and Joanna, did come to me for singing lessons and they were star (laughs) students. (laughs) Oh, my big secret. (laughs) (laughs) And your mum and dad are the most adorable people in the world, Chris and Sue Mackie, and they're mentors of mine. Speaking of mentors, they are mentors of mine. And they are going to be a big part of Destination Happiness in the future, I hope.